this is an organization that helps uh, missionaries basically get to the field. And we work in, I think they're probably up to like 45 different countries around the world now. And basically our, our job is to help churches like yours that want to send a missionary somewhere around the world to get there. And we do kind of all the backroom stuff. And so Dominic and I worked together for quite a few, how many years? Uh, 16 years. Oh, you know. And finally Dom decided to retire. So I said, well, Dom's leaving. I'm leaving. And so I retired as well. <laughs> and uh, th these are the best years of our lives, aren't they, man? It's, it, we get to do all the fun stuff and all the headaches of somebody else's. So uh, it's, it's a great phase of life. I'm still with BMW, and I do different projects for them. Uh, one of them I'm going to be talking about in just a few minutes as we have an emphasis on Indonesia. But we were missionaries in South Africa and for 17 years. And uh, so they asked me to, to actually go back there um, and to start a mission agency in South Africa for the churches that we started. And so when we went there, there was hardly any non-denominational churches. Now there's lots of them, but no one ever started a mission board for them. Well, every church everywhere needs to do missions. And uh, the, the reason you have a mission board is just to help with kind of move things along and develop and train and, and, and get people into places. And so uh, one of our projects, one of my projects right now is to help uh, get get a mission agency going. We've been there several times and going back again next year for three months and we'll be working on getting this thing so that South African churches can send missionaries. So this is the fun part of, of and the fruitful part of, of missions. We want to see churches all over the world doing what you do here. And uh, well it's been, I don't know how long has BMW UMF been in Utah, probably 50, 60 years. Uh, 60 years probably of, of people working in Utah, planting churches here, and so there's churches up and down the valley uh, as a result of people that have worked here. And I think Dom said there's maybe 20, 22 uh, couples out here now still in Utah working and planting churches. So it's, 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 been a, it's been a fun ride. But we're certainly enjoying life right now. I, I wanted to talk obviously about missions, and I want to take you to a passage of scripture in Romans chapter 15. Um, to talk about a very specific part of missions. Um, this is the verse that I really want us to focus in on. The Apostle Paul in chapter 15 is kind, of, uh, is, is kind of narrative where he's talking about what he's doing and what he's planning to do and what he has done, why he's doing what he's doing. And in that chapter, he makes this statement, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Let's take a little bit of a look at that verse, especially the first verse there, and, uh, and then I want to make some practical application, talk about some needs and how this maybe looks in, in the world of missions today and some very specific opportunities. Notice, first of all, Paul says, I make it my ambition. He's not saying this ought to be everybody's ambition. He's simply saying this is my ambition. So I'm not here to lay a guilt trip on you today and say you need to do what Paul did, but Paul had this idea and his burden was to take the gospel where the gospel had never been preached before. Now, I went to South Africa as a missionary, and I believe it was legitimate for me to go, but before I had gotten there, David Livingston was there and a whole lot of other missionaries. And there are churches and there's Christianity in South Africa before I got there. So it's not that we are not supposed to go someplace where there's already Christianity. Paul is simply saying here, this is my ambition. 
This is what I want to do. And so I'm just wondering if there might be someone here this morning that would catch that burden and say, you know what? Other people may want to go where there is the gospel already, but I want to go someplace where the gospel has never been preached. My father was a missionary in Nigeria, so I grew up in Nigeria, and uh, he, was one, he was like the Apostle Paul. He wanted to go where the gospel had never been preached before, and so he uh, actually I was born on one of their furloughs here in the States, and they went back. They had taken a four-wheel drive Jeep with them, and uh, they drove up to the northeastern part of Nigeria. When they got to the end of the road, because they had four-wheel drive, they just kept right on going and made their own road. And he went out to these villages that they had surveyed by air, so they knew these villages were out there. But there had never been a white person out there before, never been a missionary. Well, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be like Paul. He wanted to go where the gospel had never been preached before. And so that's where I grew up, and that's the kind of missions that my dad did. Well, neither my dad nor I are right or wrong, okay? This is a personal thing. But as we think in terms of taking the gospel where the gospel has never been preached before, it is something that as a church you might want to consider as you support missionaries or maybe as you send missionaries that you might want to have your toe dipping in that water. You might want to be engaged somewhere around the world where the gospel has never been preached before. And you want to support missionaries that go, go places uh, all over the world because there's work to be done everywhere. I live in Atlanta. Believe it or not, we're helping to launch a new church. Uh, of all places, Atlanta. But it's kind of just happened to us. We're, we didn't, we, we're open to it, but it's just we're right in the middle of this right now. But you know, we had families that are driving like 45 minutes away coming down to our church, and, and it kind of didn't make sense for them to be commuting that far. And there's a lot of interest in this little town in North Georgia Mountains, and so we're helping. To, but the gospel's been there. Well, are we wrong in doing it? No, we're, that's, that, that's fine. But... There are some people that want to go to where the gospel has never been preached before. Notice second thing. He says, it's my ambition to preach the gospel. Now, you guys might say, well, duh. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do, right? But believe it or not, in the evangelical world today, that is not necessarily their understanding of what missions is all about. One of the major trends that is taking place in the world of missions in general is that they're moving away from purely preaching the gospel or they've redefined what the preaching of the gospel is so that social justice issues has almost swamped the missions endeavors of the world today. And so you will find a lot more missionaries going rather than to plant churches, in other words, preach the gospel, disciple new believers, plant churches, Instead of doing that, they're going to free slaves or take care of poverty or do other things that they feel are social justice oriented. And one of the problems, and we need to be doing that kind of thing, not because it's a mission strategy, but just because we're Christians. We help out people that are in need. But one of the struggles with that is in the evangelical world, they're actually marrying that or synergizing that with the gospel so that they're saying, if you don't hand out free food, and talk about Jesus, you've truncated the gospel or you're not preaching the gospel. Well, Paul made it really clear. You know, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It is that Christ came, paid the penalty for our sins, rose again. We have salvation. That's the primary message. And that's what Paul was doing. There were plenty of slaves in his day that he did not free. There were plenty of physical needs that he did not meet. 
But his ambition, his mission, the why he existed, <coughs> excuse me, the why he existed was to preach the gospel. And it may seem like we don't even, shouldn't even be wasting time talking about this. It's so obvious. But let me caution you that in the world of missions today, this is not necessarily the case. And uh, people get a lot more excited about doing physical projects than spiritual projects. But the core of what we are here for, our mission, is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. And if you would take a look at different mission agencies, they will sort of list all the things that they do. And then they, one, of the, one of the 18 or 50 things that they do is, oh yeah, we plant churches. Well, BMW, we have one ambition, that is to establish churches. That's, that's what we do. Why? Because that is the vehicle that God has ordained during this particular phase of world history for us to do ministry, so we preach the gospel and establish local churches. Well, that is not necessarily the case in the world of missions today. So I say that not because you guys probably aren't thinking anything else, but just to encourage you to stay on that line, because the preaching of the gospel is what this is all about. We can go and we can alleviate hunger or take care of some physical problems, but the problem is after they've gotten their meal, they can still die and go to hell and spend eternity there. And so we're concerned about eternity. We're not unconcerned about physical needs, and we do things to try to help people as much as we can with, spirit, with physical needs, but the main focus of our ministry is to preach the gospel. <clears throat> now notice he says here, I want to preach the gospel where, um, where Christ has already, not where Christ has already been named. He says, I don't want to build on someone else's foundation. So he wanted to take the gospel where the gospel had never been preached before. Now, all of us have the responsibility of the mission of preaching the gospel. But now he's starting to fine-tune this and saying, my niche or my slice of the pie is to take the gospel where the gospel's never been preached before. I want to go to places where they've never heard. So not everybody has the same vision statement. Everybody has the same mission statement. We're all supposed to do one thing, but not everybody has the same vision statement. My vision was to go to South Africa. My dad's vision was to go to Nigeria. Uh, and Paul's vision was to go, he tells us in verse 19, from Jerusalem all the way to Elycrium. So if we had a map up here, and I said, put a pin on the map, show us where Jerusalem is, you could probably all go there and put the pin on the map, right? Now, we got another pin. We want you to put the second pin on Elycrium. Where would you put that? Anybody know? That's his target area. He says, from Jerusalem to Elycrium. Well, today we call that area Croatia. So if you can think in your mind a map, uh, up through, up through Lebanon, up through Turkey, up through Greece, up to Croatia. That was his target area. So if you know the book of Acts, you say, well, obviously that's what Paul did. He said, I'm going to carve out this piece where the gospel has not been preached before, and that's where my ministry is going to be. So as he's writing chapter 15, he's actually coming to the end of his project. And he's now getting ready to go to Spain. 
going to first of all go to Jerusalem, then to Rome, but then to Spain. He hopes to get to Spain. But this was his vision at this time to take the gospel to a place where the gospel had not been preached before. And so we have the record of him going in the book of Acts to all of these places in that geographical location to preach the gospel. And he would rock up in town and head to the synagogue and teach there as long as they'd let him. They'd sometimes chase him out, but he would keep on preaching the gospel. But he was taking the gospel to cities in the Roman Empire that had never heard the gospel before. So that was Paul's ambition. He says, I want to do this because I don't want to lay on someone else's foundation. Now, there's kind of two kinds of people. There are some missionaries that are wired to lay on someone else's foundation, and other missionaries want a blank sheet of paper. And so they want, they want to lay the foundation. So there are foundation-laying missionaries, and there are other builder kinds of missionaries. And neither one's right or wrong, but Paul was simply saying, I want to actually go dig the footers and pour the concrete. That's what he wanted to do. So it's not right or wrong. It's just that there needs to be missionaries that do that kind of work. Um, I am, I'm not an artist, but I can draw a bird if you have the dots on the page and you have a number beside each dot. <laughs> So some of you can draw, put the dots on the page. Well, that was Paul. He said, I want to put the dots on the page. Other guys can fill this in, but I want to put the dots on a blank sheet of paper. So there is a kind of individual that God has wired to go into a place where the gospel's never been preached before. There, there, there's nothing that exists. There's no believers, no contacts. They're wired to go into that area and to start from scratch. And so we have missionaries that are doing that, but we have other missionaries like me that went to South Africa to preach the gospel where the gospel has been preached. So neither one's right or wrong. Both of them need to be done. But there does need to be this effort to take the gospel to places where they have, it's, never, it's never been preached before. And so the next verse, he actually refers to that as he quotes from the book of Isaiah. And he says, those who have never been told will see, and they who have never heard will understand. So he comes up with a biblical justification for his vision. Instead of coming up with a harebrained idea on his own, he simply says, I'm going to take you to Scripture, and here's what Scripture says about ministry. We need to take the gospel to places where it's never been preached before. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, there's not much of tourist value in that town. We, we have a big rock. Well, we call it a mountain, but it's kind of like one of your pebbles out here, you know, uh, Stone Mountain. Uh, and so there's not that much of tourist value, but I guess the one thing that we are famous for is uh, that's where they invented Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola was started in downtown Atlanta. And if you go there, right downtown, there's a Coke museum, and you can go through the museum, and it has all the you know, the history of Coca-Cola and, and all the old adverts and, and all that. And I haven't been to the new one, so, but I assume they still have it. The last room you go to, you can, they have samples of Coca-Cola from around the world. Anybody been there? Seen it? They still have that? Uh, oh, okay. So you want to take your kids there in the evening because it'll keep them up all night because you, you can taste Coke from all over the world. And some of us kind of, you wonder why in the world they drink this stuff, but uh, they have all these products. Well, one of the intriguing things about Coca-Cola is that back in, I think, probably about the mid-50s, the president of Coca-Cola says, here's our vision. 
We want everybody on planet Earth to taste a Coca-Cola. That was their vision. And that was audacious. Well, you know, they've probably almost done that. I, I've traveled all over the world. I don't think I've ever been place that doesn't have Coca-Cola. Every place has it. You can, uh, you can be canoeing down the Amazon River and there'll be a Coke can comes floating by. I mean, it's just everywhere. These guys have done it. And everybody around the world knows what Coca-Cola is. They had that vision. But before they had that vision, you know what? Jesus had a vision that was just as audacious. And the thing that galls us is that Coca-Cola has done it, and we haven't. And that's to our shame. There are still places where the gospel has never been preached before. Now, you can... um, you can go almost anywhere, and you'll find an individual that's never heard the gospel. I would dare say that, you know, within a mile of here, there are people that have really never had a clear presentation of the gospel. So you're going to find people everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, there are going to be people that have never heard the gospel. But are there places in the world where there are large groups of people that have never heard the gospel? So that's a question that we wrestle with in the missions world, trying to figure that out. Um, we kind of, in the missions world, um, go by this statistic. We say that if, if, if a country has, or a people group has about 2% Christian, they're kind of a reached people group, so anything under that is unreached. So by that definition, Utah's an unreached people group. I mean, you're, you're less than 1% here, or around 1%, I think, is the last stat that I heard. So um, you're, you're, this is still a, a major mission field of the world, right here at your doorstep. Well, are there places around the world where there's zero percent? Well, there's organizations like these um, that do the research and try to figure out where the places are around the world that the gospel has never been preached before. And so you can go to these resources, and they, they do a lot of this research. Now, it's really difficult to do this kind of research because, I mean, the world's a big place. And so they don't always get it right. You almost need to check out with the missionaries that are there in the country to find out whether what they're saying is really true. And they also have different definitions of what Christian is. So you might go to one of these guys, and they'll say France is a Christian nation, primarily because the majority of the people in France would call themselves Roman Catholic. So obviously their definition of Christian is considerably broader than what you might be talking about. So when you go to these sites and take a look at it, you have to sort of read between the lines. You have to do more research, really, than just the research that they have done. But these are helpful sites for us to see where maybe there are some lack. There is maybe something missing that we have not done. Basically, out of the 7,000 languages that we have, a third of them, we have completed the translation. So that a third of these uh, language groups around the world have a Bible in their own language. And because we traffic in the Bible, we, we preach the Word of God, the Word of God has to be translated, and we want to translate it into their language so they can read it in their mother tongue. This is a big deal in missions to do this. About a third of them we've begun translation, but a third of them we haven't even started. So even though for 2,000 years we have lived under the command of Christ to take the gospel to everyone everywhere, to do the Coca-Cola thing, we haven't finished that job yet there's still a lot to be done. 
this is a way also Joshua Project is one of those companies that uh, does this kind of research. They say that there's about 17,000 people groups, and basically a people group is a, a group of people that are a distinct culture and language. And there's about 17,000 of them in the world. And about 7,000 of those are, are unreached. In other words, we haven't reached the 2% threshold, which is kind of an arbitrary number, but that's just what we work with. But there are 3,000 of those people groups we call unengaged, which means no missionary has gone there deliberately to try to translate the scriptures and reach them and plant churches. So there is still a whole lot of work for us to be doing. Um, this is probably a little bit too small, but just look at the color. Don't worry about the detail. The red kind of identifies where the majority of the unreached people groups are. And so you can see it's sort of through northern Africa and into Asia. Those are areas where really hasn't been a lot of missionary work done. And obviously, if you take a look at where those countries are, you can see the reason. Uh, these are areas that are, are oftentimes Muslim, or they're very difficult for us as Americans to get in there. So we've gone to places where we could get visas. Now we're having to be a lot more creative and uh, figure out how to get into places. Uh, someone has said there's no, no such thing as a closed country as long as you don't care whether you come back. So you, you may go and never get back. But there, there are ways through different platforms and going into businesses, mission, or tent makers, or other things that we can get into these countries. And so one of the great things that has happened in the last couple of decades has been there's been a lot of work in that red area. And that's increasing. And we've, we've come into awareness that these are areas where there are just groups, large groups of people that have never received missionary attention before. And so we're trying to do in the missions world justice to the commission that Christ gave us to take the gospel to every person and to, um, and, and to reach the whole world. <clears throat> so when we give these kinds of statistics, it kind of leaves you cold, I realize. And statistics, we can bend them and sort of make them say whatever we want them to say. So I want to shift the gears for just a moment. And instead of talking about statistics, I want to just show you an example of what we're talking about. And the, the country that I want to take you to is the country of Indonesia. And I realize it's maybe a little bit small, but if you can see the green color there, all of the green along the bottom of that slide is Indonesia. Indonesia is the fourth largest country in the world population-wise. So this is a huge country. If you, if you take the green on the right all the way to the left, to Banda Aceh up there, remember they had the, the tsunami? Uh, a few years ago, <clears throat> that's as wide as the United States. So we're talking about a, a, a big country. Now, it's thousands of islands, and most of them, or a lot of them, are populated. Obviously, some of the smaller ones aren't, <clears throat> but it's a huge country. Um, this country is predominantly Muslim, probably close to 90, but maybe 88% or so are Muslim. But it's one of the places in the world where Muslims are wide open to the gospel. In fact, the easiest evangelism in the world is among Muslims in Indonesia. And we talk about the fields being white unto harvest. This is a place where that is true. Muslims by the tens of thousands are turning to Christ. So it's a different kind of Islam than what you would find in Saudi Arabia. Uh, this is much more animistic. Most of Islam actually is animistic, but this is, these are hyper-animists. And, uh, and they're just 
wide open to the gospel. This is one of the unique missions opportunities in the world today, simply by the open door and the openness of people's hearts. Um, for a number of years, I've taken pastors there just to show them. And one of the things we do with pastors is we partner them up with a missionary, and, and uh, they just start with a missionary because you've got to speak the language, obviously, and, and visiting pastors don't have that. So they, um, they just start, we just start walking through a neighborhood, and you get invited into someone's home, and you sit down and start talking, and within 20 minutes you can be into the gospel. And they, they are very comfortable with that because religion dominates their life. Islam, you know, five times a day they're supposed to go to prayers. I mean, religion is just their thing. And they will talk very openly and freely. And for some reason, they still love Americans. You know, some places we go around the world, they don't like Americans. But there, they still like Americans, especially if you're tall. If you're tall, they want their picture with you because, you know, most of them are short. So if you're tall, you go in like a hero, man. And uh, they want their picture, even if it's on your camera. They don't even keep the picture, but they want their picture with you. It, so, so the majority are, 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 are Muslims in that country. The, the island of... Bali, which is too small for you to see, but it's kind of halfway across, is primarily Hindu. Uh, they also recognize, the government recognizes Buddhism, and they, they recognize Christianity and Roman Catholics, and they consider them two different religions, interestingly enough. So there are Christians in, in Indonesia, but this is a huge country. In this country of Indonesia, there are 129 unreached people groups. In other words, these are groups of people. They vary anywhere from, say, 10,000 people to, to a couple million. Where a missionary has never gone before, translated the Bible, preached the gospel, started churches. 129 of them. And that's, that's the research that churches in Indonesia have made. And they are asking us as Americans, please help us. We can't handle all of this. And the whole process of learning a language, putting it into writing, translating the scriptures, evangelizing, discipling. That's a long-term project. This is not a quick, there's no quick fix to this. So could there be Christians in these 129 people groups? Most certainly. You know, with the internet today and everybody having a smartphone everywhere, people have probably heard the gospel one way or the other. But we do know in these 129, there are, are not, there hasn't been concerted missionary effort to try to reach these people. So when we talk about should we take the gospel to where the gospel has never been preached before, there needs to be some missionaries that are going to catch that vision and burden and say, I'll do that. And it's a tough gig. I mean, this is a hard job. It's long-term stuff. It is really difficult. In fact, if you go to Indonesia, you've got to first of all learn Indonesian just to operate within the country, but then you go to one of these people groups, you've got to learn a second language. So it helps if you have somewhat of a language aptitude in order to go do this. One of the things that we do in, as, as we sort of vet missionaries is we do language aptitude testing. And we can tell a person how easy or how hard it's going to be for them to learn a language. And so people that have an aptitude for it, we recommend, why don't you think in terms of going to someplace like Indonesia? Because uh, you're going to have to learn two languages in order to do ministry. But somebody needs to go do that. So <clears throat> in Indonesia, He's 129. Let me, talk, let me talk to you for just a few moments, and then we'll wrap this up, about one group of people called the Bajo. You'll see their name spelled different ways, sometimes with a W, but it's spelled different ways. The Bajo are sometimes referred to as sea gypsies. And the reason is they make their living uh, fishing. 
and uh, they live on the water. Uh, one of the unique things about the Bajo is their capacity to free dive without tanks. And some of them can dive for up to 11 minutes. And the scientists said, how in the world do they do this? And they, as they studied, they found out their spleen is twice the size of a normal human being. Now, I'm no doctor, so I don't understand all this, but I understand the spleen is kind of like our oxygen tank. It helps us process our oxygen. And to have a larger spleen means you can hold more oxygen, I guess, in your body. So it's like they have an extra gas tank that we, most of us don't have. And so they free dive like this, and, um, and, and some of them will spend up to five hours a day underwater. I mean, they come up, get a breath, go back down. So fishing is their thing. They, uh, they, they use mostly spear fishing. They, they live on these boats. They're 30, 40-foot boats, and they range kind of from southern Philippines all the way down through Indonesia. You can find the Bajo. There's probably, it's hard to get numbers on them, but there could be anywhere from 300,000 to a million. We don't know, but it, we're, we're talking about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. No one has ever gone to this group of people. Now, more recently, some of them have been moving into these places like this. They've been building their homes on stills, but still with the water because they're fishermen. And the Bajo just live on the water because they're sea gypsies. And uh, this is their life. So if some of you are water babies and love fishing, this might be a calling for you. Uh, can you, how old is that girl, do you think? What would you say? Three? Five? Six? Well, whatever. Would, would you let your daughter do that? <laughs> Sit out and, well, for them, being on the water and swimming is as common as us just, you know, walking in our backyard, because this is their backyard. But here's a group of people that no one has taken the gospel to, that we know of. They're predominantly Muslim, but it's a very animistic kind of, of Islam. And your daughters have a church to go to today. In, uh, in Atlanta, we live probably about 60 seconds away from our church building. So it takes me about a minute to get to church in the morning. And as I drive to church, I drive past two churches I don't want to go to to get to the one that I want to go to. And you know, Atlanta, we got churches on every corner. We got super abundance. And so I can choose for my kids or my, my grandkids. I've got a big choice of where my kids could go. But think of the, mil the, the, the tens of thousands of girls like this, that unless someone takes the gospel there, she'll never have that opportunity. So when we hear Paul say, I want to take the gospel to where the gospel's never been preached before, this is kind of the idea. The idea is, where could we take the gospel where no one's ever heard before? And maybe you as a church want to take on support for somebody that's going there. Or maybe one of you might someday be a missionary and say, you know what? I'd like to go to someplace and do what my dad did, what Paul did, and preach the gospel where the gospel's never been preached before. So I just wanted to throw that idea out to you guys here today and help you to start thinking through this, that you need to be supporting missionaries everywhere, all through Utah. There's still a need for mission work to be done. All the countries of the world, almost any country, you throw a dart and hit the globe, I'll guarantee you there's work that needs to be done. But we do have a whole lot of places around the world that 
still need a missionary to go and do frontline plowing on the mission field where missionaries have never been before. One closing advert. Uh, one of the things that Indonesia's known for is, is coffee. So I'd come back from Indonesia and I'd rave about the coffee that was there. And, uh, and I love coffee. And uh, Indonesia is my favorite coffee. So some people accuse me of being interested in Indonesia primarily because of the coffee. Uh, it's kind of a nice bonus uh, to have good coffee. But uh, one of our board members uh, sort of caught the idea. And he said, well, why, don't we, why don't we use coffee as a way to help support missions? And so he started this company, Coffee Helping Missions. If, um, if you like coffee and you want to support missionaries at the same time, buy your coffee from him. Uh, he'll ship it to you from Pennsylvania. Uh, you could give your money to Starbucks, but they're going to do something different with it than what Jeff will do. Uh, because Jeff pours 100% of the profits back into missions. Um, and you can go on there and designate through your purchase of coffee what missionary you. So, so the profits, it could go to the Indonesia project or it could go to any missionary that you know. This with BMW. So you can support Dominant Lane. Uh, and, and when you drink coffee, you can pray for them as you drink your coffee thinking, oh, man, I, I got to think in terms of missions. And so let me encourage you, if, if, if you don't have a source for your coffee and you want good coffee, um, maybe you might take a look at Coffee Helping Missions because it all started from Indonesia. And it might help you to pray as well for the country of Indonesia. So I'd just like to throw that out to you to challenge you to maybe think of and pray for and maybe even someday support and send someone to that country. Father, we pray that you would indeed raise up laborers for the harvest. And as we think of this country of Indonesia in particular, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would do just that, that you would flood this country with those that will do pioneer work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.